epic night of fun for all middle school and high school students. No sign-up is required. Just show up at the Ravencrest Student Center at 6.30 p.m. located on Pole Hill Road and get ready for an evening filled with games, hanging out with Ravencrest students, a word from the Bible, and so much more. If you have any questions at all, please see Jimmy Cole after service today. It is our great honor and pleasure to have Ravencrest students as a part of our church family while they are here in Estes Park, studying the Word of God and growing in their faith. Ravencrest students sacrifice lots of common comforts and things that we take for granted in order to be here, one of which is a home where they can do laundry, have a home-cooked meal, or just hang out and do homework. So. We as a church are committed to making Ravencrest students feel right at home through our Ravencrest Adoption Program. Sign up today to adopt a Ravencrest student and give them a home away from home. Just write Ravencrest Adoption on the back of your connection card with a number indicating how many Ravencrest students you would like to adopt and commit today to showing these students radical hospitality and the love of Christ. Since Jesus ascended, God's people have spent lots of time and energy dividing from one another on account of our differences when there is something so much greater that binds us all together, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a demonstration of the unity of the church in Estes Park, as well as a celebration of thanksgiving, Churches from all across the Estes Valley will be joining together for a community-wide communion service. It will be a time of united fellowship, worship, prayer, and remembrance of the blood that was shed to save us from sin. This service will be taking place one week from today on Sunday, November 20th at 6.30 p.m. in the Estes Park High School Auditorium. Everyone is welcome to attend as we come together with the common belief that the church is better when it's together. Well, good morning, church. Okay, let's stand. We're going to worship the Lord today. Let's enter into prayer together for just a moment. Father God, we thank you and praise you, uh, Lord, that you call us your children. Uh, Lord, you are a high and a holy king. You are sovereign and you reign, and yet you call us your own. How wonderful is that, Lord? Lord, we have this kind of access where we can just come to you and bring the stuff that is heavy on our hearts and is burdening us. We get to come into your courts with thanksgiving and praise. Lord, this morning as, as we continue in this throne room series, just remembering who you are, beholding your glory, Help us remember this morning that we have an appointment with the King, Lord, to give you honor and praise that you rightly deserve. And Lord, you reign, so we have a reason to praise. So Lord, be with us in this time as we uh, heave up offerings of, of praise and worship and glory to you and to your name. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.
cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank mm-hmm. you.
parents, as we dismiss the kids to praise place, would you just lay a hand on, on your children as we send them out? And let's pray for them. Father God, I pray that these young children would know this. That they would, they would, as they go to praise place, that they would know this fundamental truth. That you are worthy of their praise. Lord, that you are worthy of their lives. Lord, I pray that you would capture their young hearts and minds this morning that they would see and behold that you are so good and that you love them so much. We pray for the teachers that you would give them wisdom this morning and for the parents in the room as, as we continue to disciple and raise our children. And Lord, we just pray that you would protect these children, uh, Lord, from the enemy. Lord, that uh, no harm would come to them. Lord, that they would be protected by your grace. And Lord, that they would just come to see you as worthy of their lives, of their praise, of everything. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for these children. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we enter into this time of prayer together, let us remember that we are praying to God to our Savior Jesus, the name above all names, the one who is worthy of all praise, the one who made each and every one of us and loves each and every one of us deeply, unfathomably, and he longs to hear from us. And so now, whether we lift our prayers aloud or speak them in our hearts, let us all go before the throne of our God together. Heavenly Father, we give you glory and honor and praise this morning because you are glorious because you have all honor because you are our God because you are our king we ask now Lord that you would fill this place with your spirit so that as we pray together we will know your presence fully pray for the world to see God's fingerprints so that when they look out and they see the mountains they see the sun the moon, the sky and even the animals they will wonder at God's creation and know that he is king Let us pray for our nation's leaders, the ones who are newly elected, the ones who have been re-elected. Let us pray that regardless of their personal beliefs, regardless of their political party, that everything they do will fall into God's design, not human design, so that even as a nation, we will shine God in 
spite of the actions of our individuals. pray for someone to come to Christ. Whether we have already met this person or have yet to meet this person, whether this person has been struggling with faith for a while or has never had an opportunity to hear of the gospel, let us pray that someone will come and be part of our kingdom. so deeply that you have given us that ability to lift up our prayers, to lift up our praises and our petitions. We know that you hear us. Father, we ask that you answer us. But beyond that answer, we ask that you would tune our minds and our hearts to you so that whatever the answer you give us is, we will trust in you and trust in your design. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we enter into this time of communion and the trays get passed around, uh, take one of the cups and one of the pieces of bread and hold on to it until the end of the meditation and we'll take it together as one family. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we read this. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What a very powerful passage that is. That we were
were veiled from God, that he was hidden from us. And even the best attempts to understand him couldn't. And yet, Jesus came. And with his sacrifice and resurrection, that veil is taken away. And we can behold, in truth, the glory of God. What an amazing thing that is. Let us take a moment now to ponder that veil and ponder the glory of God. that bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so now together as one body in Christ, remembering the veil that was before us, let us take this bread together. And in the same way, Jesus took that wine and he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my blood, which has been poured out for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so now together, basking in the glory of our Lord and Savior, let us take this juice together. Heavenly Father, as we partake of the communion this morning, help us to remember its power and its significance. Help us to remember that we were once blind, that you were hidden from us, but through Christ, we can enter your presence, that we can now see your glory, that we can wonder and marvel. But more than that, Lord, we ask that you would shine in us and through us, so that when we go from this place, all people will see you rather than us through our words through our actions and even by our simple presence that all people will be drawn to you so that the veil may be lifted we pray this for your glory for your honor in order that your kingdom might grow and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven we pray all of this in the most holy and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. Whether you're here in person or joining us online today, we are so glad to have you with us. If you are a guest, we have a special gift for you. It is a book called Unshakable. If you haven't already received your copy, please stop by the Welcome Center after the service. This week, we'll be in our series, Throne Room, Beholding the Glory of the King. There are so many things in our world that can distract us and make God seem small to us. During the series, our pastors will be helping us get our eyes and our hearts back onto the throne of God 
so that we can once again behold his greatness, glory, and power. If God has felt small, distant, or ineffectual to you lately, then this is the series for you. Before we get started, let's talk about the green connection card in your bulletin. Once you have your card, please fill out your name and current contact information. One of the primary reasons we ask you to fill out the connection card is because we believe that God has a reason for having you here today. By filling out the card, you're letting God know that you're ready to take some next steps as the service progresses, and it allows us to pray for you and support you as you take those steps. One of our pastors will share more about those steps at the end of today's service. So hold on to your connection card and drop it in the offering basket at the end of the service. Inside your bulletin, you'll also find an offering envelope. If you came prepared to give today, please place it in the offering basket along with your connection card. You can also give online at our website, estespark.church forward slash give. Now that we've gone over the connection card, Let's turn our attention to the word of the Lord and get into the message. Well, let's do that. Good morning, church. Yeah, welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus to build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. I'm Pastor Aaron, and I'm glad to see you all here today. And you might be saying, Pastor Aaron, why did you have a little mask over your face today? It's because I miss 2020 so much. It was just, I thought I'd just bring things back. I, uh, I found out... Um, late last week that I ended up getting um, strep throat, which is something I would not recommend. So don't do that. But I did, like a fool. And then uh, I've been on uh, antibiotics for 24 hours, so I should be safe. But just in case, these are things that I don't want to share with those whom I love, which are all of you. So there you go. Uh, today, we are in our uh, throne room uh, series. And uh, we started a couple weeks ago where I uh, talked about God's vision to Ezekiel. Uh, and how we saw God on his mobile throne, uh, and how we say with that throne of judgment, and how he's all over. The, it's this amazing vision that gives us a confidence that God is active and at work in this uh, world today. And then last week, Pastor Jesse did a great job talking about Isaiah and on that vision that God is holy, 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 as we see his, uh, the vision of God's throne room in heaven. And today, uh, we get a different peak uh, as we go into the book of Revelation, the very last vision of, recorded of God's throne room in Scripture, as we get to see uh, God sitting on His throne there, right there in heaven, and it's a pretty powerful thing. But before we go there, uh, just a reminder, a refresh for our memory verse uh, for the series, which is, comes to us from Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 4.6, it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace. Isn't that awesome? with confidence so that way we receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Now, when we see these visions of God's throne rooms in heaven, sometimes it's, it, it, it's a little scary. It should be because uh, God is holy. He's different. He's other. He's powerful. He's mighty. And it's important as we, we begin all that to recognize that God has a, made a way for us to actually approach him and wants us to and we approach him on the terms of mercy, of actually the throne of grace. And we're going to talk about that next week as we conclude the series from Hebrews, actually what that even means and how we get there. Um, but just this week, if you haven't a chance to yet to memorize and meditate on that particular passage of Scripture, that's why it's on your connection card. Take that off and think about it, because here's the wonderful truth, that God invites us to meet him on terms of grace so that you can receive his help in your time of 
need. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I need God pretty regularly, so that might be helpful for you. All right, so as we have that, why don't you turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. That's uh, where we're going to be today. Uh, Revelation is the last book of Scripture, so it's super easy to find. It's right there in the end. It's also the ra- last book of Scripture that was written by the Apostle John. It was uh, right there at the very end of the, that first uh, generation of the church. The Apostle John was getting ready to die. He was uh, uh, marooned on the island of Patmos. And actually, I remember he was like arrested and put there because he wouldn't stop telling people about Jesus. So they're like, well, let's put him on an island. So there he was. And he was praying uh, as he would normally and was in the habit of doing. And all of a sudden on a Sunday, just like today, guess what? God shows up and he hears the voice of God coming from him. It's like a trumpet. It's a loud voice. Uh, and he recognized the, God, uh, the, the voice of God. He turns around. And he was in the spirit. So now he's seeing spiritual things. And uh, lo and behold, who shows up there is Jesus but Jesus glorified. So this apostle who uh, lived his entire life serving Jesus, in fact, as a young man, being the youngest apostle, uh, disciple, he had known Jesus very well, was the disciple that Jesus loved, was very, very close with them, and yet seeing him in his glory, the, this apostle, John, he falls down like he's dead because he's terrified, and he describes Jesus and his power and his glory, and with him is the, the seven lampstands that are the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is there, and Jesus has a message, and he says, this is a message that I have for, for what's happening now. This is the message for my church that's going through this persecution that's, that's difficult, and it's a message for today. And, and so John gives this, uh, he receives this great message of these, the seven churches, and then Right after receiving uh, God revealing what he's at work right now doing, he says this, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, And after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard at first, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So that's, that's a whole lot of stuff. So he has this amazing vision. We don't know how long after this it was. It was just after it, after he received the, the message to the seven churches. But what does he see? A door in heaven, which is an amazing thing. That'd be spectacular, but I'm, uh, doors have purposes. You know, it wasn't just a window that God shouted out of because you could talk to people through windows and, and tell them stuff, but you don't want them to come in. But uh, doors are designed to go through. Did you know that? Like if you're going to go into somebody's house, enter through the door if you're not a weirdo. Right? And God has a door from heaven to earth. It's not just a window from heaven where you could see what was happening here and could shout out his orders for us and see all that, that we would have no access, no way in, no way out. There's a door and it's open. And not only that, there's an invitation. Now, how rich and wonderful would it be to know? I mean, if you were stuck on an island, persecuted for your faith, alone and, al- and lonely, to have the realization that heaven was not closed and there was not this separation, there was, there was not this absence of access, but that God had created a way for us to be with him and he created a way that also he was with us and that way was open. 
And the invitation was there. And so he hears the voice of the one he heard at first that was God. And in Scripture, God's voice is always pretty powerful. It's described as a trumpet, as rushing waters, as, as a great tumult, like a marching of armies. Wherever God speaks, you, you don't miss it, right? He's got a powerful voice. And so what does his voice says? Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. Well, first thing is to come up here. And before I had a chance to, um, a couple of years ago, I got to go to the Holy Land, and it really was profound for me in this thing, is I realized that every time you would go into like a temple or a holy space, you would always make an ascent every single time. That's what they would call aliyah. You'd make aliyah. If you're going to go to a, see a king or you're going to go to a temple or something like that, you'd go up some stairs and you'd make an ascent. In fact, even in the Bible, there are songs of ascent, right? It's where the people would sing as they would make ascent up the mountain to go up the many steps of the temple to then go be with God, right? They would go up all this way. And yet, here you have God not just inviting John to have a small ascent up a few stairs to even a, even a mountain. He's ascending to heaven. This is the, like, the highest and the holiest ascent. This is a massive thing. And why does he go there? Because God is going to show him something. What must take place? And I love that word must. This is not a prediction. Like we as humans could recognize how great predictions are, right? You know, maybe, maybe not. God's not saying, this is what I think is going to happen. Let me show you what's, what's going to go around or whatever. He's like, this is what must take place. Why? Why so definitive? Because he's in charge. And all of these things that may look chaotic, God is showing from the heavenly perspective. He's going to show you, I'm going to show you what I'm about to do, John. I told you what I'm going to do in the church now. Now I'm going to show you what it's all about. And he proceeds to tell us in those next 20-some chapters. I think it's pretty amazing. So he goes up, he has this invitation, what happens next? He says, and at once I was in the Spirit. So he is taken there, heaven is a spiritual place, he's a spiritual man, so there he is in the Spirit. So he's seeing spiritual realities uh, that matter to us, right? So um, how do you describe spiritual things? Well, you're going to describe them using earthly things, how God reveals himself, just so we can understand. So what John sees is a is a spiritual reality described to us in very physical forms, but it's important for us to recognize he's describing spiritual realities that are very, very real, but we shouldn't uh, be too focused on just what, what it would be like if it was physical. He's teaching us something. Everything in here that God reveals himself to, it, this spiritual vision, matters. There's no detail that doesn't matter. That's why it's included. It's a spiritual vision. And so he was in the spirit, and he goes up there, and what does he see? Well, he's in heaven, we know that, but he's not just anywhere in heaven. I mean, you could fly to the United States, but that doesn't mean that you're in the White House, right, or the Oval Office, right? He goes to heaven, which is a massive space, and he goes right to the, the room, the throne room of the king. This is where the voice called him to. Pretty amazing. And this is also good, is that someone's sitting on the throne, it's not just that heaven has authority. You've ever felt maybe sometimes in my life I felt like this. I was wondering like, God, what are you doing? Is anyone like, are you paying attention? You in charge up there? Like, what are you doing? That God's not just in heaven and it's not just the authority of heaven, that God is sitting on the throne, that there is, that he's holding court, that he's actively ruling now. Pretty great. And 
It reminds us, though, that John is the third of, who got to see visions of, this, of heaven. Uh, we first, you had, of course, Ezekiel, and he saw the mobile throne being around that one earth. But then you have Isaiah, who actually saw God's throne in heaven. And so uh, Isaiah, his, his description it was this. He says, I saw the Lord high and exalted. Guess what? Seated on his throne. Shouldn't surprise us. God was on the throne back then, hundreds of years before that, and he's still on the throne, still there ruling. And yet all kinds of crazy things happened between Isaiah and Jesus. And Isaiah, his description of it when he was there, what caught his eye was that the train of his robe filled the temple. And Jesse did a phenomenal job explaining that. But John sees something different. This, this place is holy, holy, holy. This is an amazing space filled with God's glory. And so what catches John's eye? Well, he says the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, right? And a rainbow shone around like an, like an emerald and circled the throne. And what caught John's eye was very similar to what caught Ezekiel's eye. It was, it was the one sitting on the throne, and describes him in this, that, that he had this appearance. It wasn't jasper and ruby, but it looked like jasper and ruby, red and, and glowy. Do you know that's kind of how it's, Jesus was described in the first chapter of, of Revelation? He showed up with burning bronze, kind of melty, hot, uh, glowy red uh, bronze, and like flames. That's what, uh, what Ezekiel saw, the same thing. There's this holiness and this power in there, but it's also interesting that, that Jasper and Ruby are the first and the last stones on Aaron's breastplate as he would represent the people before God. And that's pretty cool. And he shows up as this, uh, this powerful red uh, uh, being, and, and, and it says that around him was a rainbow that shone like an emerald, and it encircled the throne. And so like the the, the red would be power and all this, so you, you find that the, the emerald is, is like life, right? It's, it's shining around, it's beautiful, and it's, it's really emanating around him like, an, like a rainbow. And this is exactly what Ezekiel saw. It reminds us of Ezekiel chapter 1, where Ezekiel's vision, where he says, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him when he was describing the throne, right? And, and this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So where God is, there's always glory, always. And the glory that radiates from God is one of life and of peace and of goodness. It's not radiating death, but, but beauty and amazing things. I think it's also interesting, too, that after the flood, what is it that God put in the sky to remind us of His grace? Yeah, the rainbow, where the mighty warrior God hung up His bow and said... My judgment has been fulfilled, but the next time I'm coming, I'm going to bring a different kind of judgment. And so we have him seated in glory, surrounded with, the, with this radiance that is around him. And that was amazing. But, but John, as he looks at this and he sees God on the throne with the, the, around him, he realizes that he's not alone. And so in verse 4, he says this, surrounding the throne, there were 24 other thrones. That's just where it gets weird. What are other thrones doing in God's throne room? I think if, if you think in God's throne, one throne is enough, right? Like if God's on the throne, everything's good. What are these 24 other dudes? Yeah, you're out. Why 24 other thrones? 
And it's not just there's other thrones around there. It's not just like there was like a, a, a sail or something on thrones or whatever. And there's like a No, there's thrones are active. You got Sidon where 24 elders dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. They're also reigning and ruling. Who are these guys? And why are they there? Well, this is an amazing thing. And you realize that this is a spiritual vision. And spiritual visions, everything has a meaning. And numbers in Scripture have a lot of meaning. And 24 is an important number. It comes from 12 and 12, right? And 12 is a number of God's people. Every time, God's government, God's people, there were 12 tribes. And there are 12 apostles. You think that was by accident? When we see 12, it's, it's because that's the number of God's people. In fact, in the new heaven, when it comes down, it's going to have 12 gates weighs in, and those on them are written the names of the 12 tribes, because the way to God is through the faith of the 12. And it has a foundation of 12 stones, which have the names on them of the 12 apostles, because the foundation of the kingdom is the gospel preached by the 12, God's people. 12 is always God's people. And 24 is when you have the 12 from the past, the, the old covenant, and the 12 in the new covenant. These are all of God's people, all of them, who have been saved by grace through faith. All of God's people are present in the throne room, and they're not there as beggars. This part was phenomenal when you see it. They're there dressed in white. They're sanctified. They're before God. When, when Isaiah saw God, his first thought was, I'm dead. Woe is me. I'm doomed. I'm done. Just hang it up now. I've seen the Lord, and, and I've got a filthy mouth, and the, you should hear the people that I live around, right? They're even worse, and here I am standing before a holy God. I have no business being here. I don't belong. That's what he said. And yet, here the 24, and where are they? They're dressed in white. They belong there. They're dressed for the occasion. They've already been sanctified. And it's not just that they're in white. They've got the gold crowns on their head. And these weren't just like king's crowns. These were like the laurels that were given out to like the Olympic Games for those who were champions, to the gladiators who overcame, right? There, there was a, it was a crown of glory, a crown of victory that they wore on their head in this gold, this purity, this royalty. They had glory. They had, they had power right? They were there and, and they also had thrones, which is a place of authority, that they were actively ruling and they were sitting on their thrones with God, ruling with God right now. Now, if you were John and you were stuck on an island because, you know, Caesar decided that he didn't want anybody to talk about the church, it might look in the moment like Caesar was the one who was really ruling, not the church. The church kind of looked weak. It kind of looked like it was being persecuted, like it was being killed, like even their apostle was stuck on an island. But the reality is that God's people are on the throne because that's what Jesus promised. He said to those who overcome, to those who do not give in, to those who pursue, they will receive a crown of glory that they will rule with him on his throne. Blows my mind. And yet it wasn't just a future reality. It was the present reality that the kingdom of God has come. And from this perspective, the world falls into place just a little different. For we are not as weak as oftentimes we may appear. 
And we are not as distant from God as sometimes it may feel. This, the church, is power to understand that we're not just with the Lord, that He has made us righteous. He has given us a crown of victory and a place to rule beside Him. And John sees this. What an amazing thing. And beyond that, there, was, there were other things happening up there. It says, And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, just like it was with, with Ezekiel. Right? God's throne has, has got power just emanating from. There's judgment. There's things going on. This is a living, active, powerful seat of authority. It is not benign. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. And these are the seven spirits of God, just like in the first chapter. And you would say, hey, Aaron, wait a second, time out. I thought we served a triune God, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three and yet also one God and that wonderful mind-blowing thing. What's with the seven spirits of God? Again, recognize spiritual truths. That seven is this very important spiritual number in Scripture. Seven is the number of God's perfection. Right? This is the divine perfection. This is the fullness of what God would have. And this is profound because the seven the Spirit of God, means all of God, is there in the throne. He's not absent there. He's fully there, but it's there blazing, right? The seven lamps are fully ablaze. There's, there's no dimming to them. There's, there's not a veil or, or, or a limiting factor between God's glory and His presence any longer. And His saints are able to see that and withstand it. Why is that amazing? Because God throttles His goodness for us on this earth, for our benefit. Like if, if God just showed up, we saw him face to face, even I, Isaiah understood, we'd be dead. We'd be obliterated by his glory and his goodness. We, can't, we wouldn't be able to handle that. But even on a practical level, we recognize that God is kind to us in, in limiting his, his, he re, how he reveals himself to us. He limits his goodness for our goodness too. Anybody who has a parent, you can get this. Let's just say you have a kid and you, because you're a loving, good parent, you just want them to have a great life, because who wouldn't? And so you give them every good thing. In fact, you are so good that everything that they want in their life, you just give them anything that their little hearts desire for their entire life. They feel nothing but joy and happiness. Any adversity that would ever happen in their life, you remove that adversity, any bad things, any bad consequences, anything. They only experience goodness. What would happen to that child? Would they be a wonderful human? No, we would say they were spoiled, right? You would ruin them. And anyone who's had spoiled milk knows exactly how putrid being spoiled is. No one wants to have spoiled people. It, it destroys them. It would rot their soul from the inside. And we see this in life, don't we? That sometimes when somebody gets a hold of too many good things and it just wrecks them, that, that we would think that it might be something wonderful and good, and it's the very thing that destroys them. And so God limits his goodness on our behalf. He gives us as much goodness as we can withstand on this earth. But in heaven, we will see him as he is, and he's there shining, blazing. And it doesn't destroy the apostles. It doesn't destroy the church. Isn't that a wonderful day to know that we will be able to see God face to face? and withstand the blast of his unmitigated goodness. And it won't destroy us because we will have been purified. Pretty awesome. And so there we are with God 
the Father on the throne, God the Spirit there, God, God the Son shows up in the next chapter. We're not going to talk about him today. Well, we will, but he's later, but all of God is here in the throne room. There's other things in the throne room, though. This is where it gets even weirder. It says, also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne, there were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. You're like, oh, goodness, not the eyes again. Well, you'll see, there's, there's good reason for them. But let's start talking about first that sea of glass, because the sea matters. You know, in Scripture, the sea is a very important thing. It's, we find it all the way through Scripture and in the book of Revelation. It's very, very prominent. See, the sea was the chaos out of which order, God created order out of and rose it above. So think about in Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And where was the Spirit of God? Floating above the waters. There was the sea. And it was out of that and above that that God, out of this chaos that God created all of this beautiful order, the perfection. Of course, then we messed it up. In the book of Revelation, uh, we find, or in, actually in the rest of Genesis, there was another sea that uh, was a sea of judgment <laughs> that when people became so wicked, God was like, well, it's time to wash the world clean. And so there was Noah's flood and, and, and you know, the, the ark. And, and there was that chaos out of which God created order from Adam. And we find then in, in, in Revelation, this sea is there. It's uh, later on, it's the, in, I think it's chapter 13, I think it's where the beast comes out of, you know, that the devil comes out of that chaos, the Antichrist arises out of this, uh, this sea. Uh, in verse 15, that sea turns to fire and becomes the fiery trial by which the, the martyrs have to pass through in order to get to the throne of God before they stand there. I mean, the sea is the chaos of this world. And yet, what is the sea like right here under God's throne? perfectly still, clear as crystal. It's like when you go to one of our beautiful Rocky Mountain lakes and you can look down and see the trout 15 feet down because there's just nothing moving. Perfectly still, the chaos stilled underneath the authority of our God and his rule. <laughs> so cool. And then there were four living creatures there. I'd be there with that sea and then what are these like? We had four creatures with Ezekiel, didn't we? And, and these ones are similar to those ones. There's a lot of commonality, but they're a little bit different. So there's, there's four different creatures, and one thing is that they had eyes. Well, Ezekiel's creatures, they, that, which were the, the cherubim, they had eyes that were around their really cool wheels, their high-tech wheels, which they went all over with. These ones, they had eyes on, on them, and there's a reason for that. We'll see why next. It says the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. So the same faces that the, the ones in Ezekiel had, except for these ones only have one face, right? But they represent the same thing. Four in scripture always represents the earth. Four corners of the earth, right? Four points of the compass, four, uh, four winds of the world, right? Uh, this is four always represents this earth. And so you have these four creatures, and what do they have? Well, they have the same four faces that were represented there in Ezekiel as well. And what are those four faces? The first one is the, the king of the beasts, the lion, right? The apex of all the wild animals. And then you have the, the king of the domesticated animals, the ox. And then you have the king of it all, all of God's creation, man. And then, of course, you have the king of the air, just in case we missed that. It's a flying eagle, not just a sitting one. It's the king of the air. These represent all of the things that God has created on this earth. So all of creation, all of those beings that, that God has created, everything made, 
stands before God with eyes all around, but it gets weirder. It says each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is to come. Now we can see why there's eyes. Well, the first thing we recognize is they have wings. So who has wings? Well, eagles do, but more than that, the, the seraphim that were in um, Isaiah's vision, they had six wings like these. The, the cherubim in Ezekiel's vision only had four, but these are six wings, but angels. And they're flying around and they're saying things just like the seraphim who were in heaven's throne with God in Isaiah's vision are here. And they're represented also in these four. It's not just all of the living creatures on earth, but this represents also all of the heavenly creatures as well. Every being from heaven on earth and under the earth, all of them are declaring something. But they're declaring it first because they're seeing something. You see, all of these beings have lots of eyes everywhere. Why? Because they're all-knowing and all-seeing? No, it's because that they can't stop observing. You see, it, even they had... They had eyes on their wings. So even if they tried to cover their eyes, there's, there's eyes on the other side of their wings. They can't stop seeing and witnessing something. They're not able to stop witnessing God. And so they're able to testify to this. This is what all of creation testifies, declares before God's throne, is that God is holy, holy, holy. That He is God, He is almighty. He was, and He is, and He is to come. All creation sees and testifies this and we are without excuse. We can't close our eyes to the reality of God's existence or his holiness or, or anything. God exists. It reminds me, this was, truth was uh, verified or, uh, in Romans 1 where, where the Apostle Paul writes, for since the creation of, uh, of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, right? He's holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty have been clearly seen being understood by what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, we live in a day and age where a lot of people say, well, we don't see God. We can't see that he's holy. Well, God's going to say, you know what? The world and everything testifies. Now, we have lies that make us say things are true that aren't true, right? That make us hold to belief and, and, and classify things as one way when they really aren't that way. I mean, we live in a world that that just happens. We, we understand what it's like to live by a lie, and that's why lies are so damaging, that we see what something is, and yet we deny its very existence. There are a lot of people in creation that do that, but the reality is you cannot close your eyes to the fact that God exists, that there he's holy and he's different than us and he's eternal, he's outside of us. All creation testifies. And if anybody thinks they're going to go to God with some clever argument about, well, oh, I tried to look for you but couldn't see, he said, you had eyes everywhere. All creation testifies and we're all without excuse. God is real. And so what does creation testify? That God exists, he's different, he's holy, 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 he's not like us and he's eternal. And that's all they do. But the 24 elders, well, they have a different response to God on his throne and who he is. And, and that comes next. It says the 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and then they, they have a great testimony. You see, where creation can look at God and see him who as he is, that doesn't mean they're going to worship him. It doesn't mean they're going to see who God is and, and, and uh, give him glory. They could still stand there and say God is different and, and not follow him. In fact, most of humans and a lot of the angels did that, the demons. 
But the 24, all of God's people, everyone, I'm glad that it says all 24 did this, they fall down before him. They recognize we don't stand in pride against God. This is not our world. Right? We, we worship him. So we center our lives around him. Our thrones are actually are his throne. Right? It's about him. And we lay down our crowns, that victory, we recognize that no one stands in heaven because of anything they had done. Any victory that we have that allows us to be before God comes from him. The church submits itself to God. God's people submit. Creation testifies to who he is, but they don't submit. But God's people, everyone, they submit. And what is their testimony? When they see God for who he is, and in reverence, they lay down their crowns, well, say something pretty amazing. It says, they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. The testimony of the church is that God is worthy because he is the creator. That's the core. You can't worship God if you don't worship that him as creator, as our maker, as our designer, as our, as our redeemer, the one who is above all things, the one who has made all things. That is why he is holy. And so the church begins, the testimony begins, the fact that our God exists, he's on the throne, and he's there, he's worthy to be on the throne because he made it all. And so everything is an expression of his will. Everything has come to being because of him and through him. In fact, this same, uh, this same truth is something that I think that carries for every area of our life. If, you, uh, the, if we want to have access or understand God and to be able to approach him for his throne room of grace, we first have to understand whom we approach. This is what gives us confidence. So that's why the, the key to the throne room in this week is that God is creator, and he is the ruler of all creation. He didn't just make things and leave like the, like the deists might think, right? It, we're not just random atoms and stardust that just happened to appear. God made us. He created us. He designed us. All things were made by him, and he's actively sitting on his throne ruling over his creation, which means that the world may look chaotic, but the sea is actually much more crystalline than it may appear at first, that God is on his throne. And he's not just on the throne for Christians. He's not just on his throne for people in North America or people in the 21st century. God is on the throne of all people for all creation. It's not just for all of us. Even the angels bow a knee to him. There is nothing that is going to override his will or undo his plans, which is why he could say with confidence, come up here, John, because I'm going to show you what must take place. Because God is in control. There's a big difference between knowing these truths about God and submitting to them. That's the difference between creation, the four beings, and the 24 elders. You know, Paul writes about this in the first part of, of Romans, where he says this about us, for although they knew God, right? People, we, creation is known that God exists. We know these there. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They kept their crowns on, thank you very much. And what happened? Their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And after this, he does a pretty good description of our current culture. You want to know why the world is so broken like it is? It's because creation maybe recognizes that God is there. We're spiritual, but we don't recognize the king, the creator, who is the designer.
We don't give him glory as such. We don't follow him as such. We don't honor him as such. We keep our crowns on. We say, we'll rule this creation, thank you very much, like we made it. We didn't. And when we don't do that, our own thinking becomes messed up, futile. Our hearts become darkened. We've replaced God's good ways with our, our own broken ways. It's not that we have a lot of immoral people. We have a lot of wrongly moral people who are then are also immoral. And the world becomes broken and we see all kinds of awful depravity like we're witnessing in our world today. How do we undo that? It starts by recognizing who's on the throne and that he is worthy because he is our creator which is why the church just always needs to begin with worshiping God as creator, fundamentally, profoundly. Even this apostle, Apostle John, when he wrote the Gospel of John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit several gener- uh, decades before he wrote Revelation, look at how he starts that. He says in the, uh, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And then he'd start talking about this Word and who he was, and he says it's Jesus, but he says through him, Jesus, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's right in the beginning. That, that God is creator is so fundamental to who we are. This is why, as Christians, we follow his ethics and morals, because he made us. This is not just our best ideas. This is why we, we follow him and use our lives around because he, he built us. We belong to him. And this world belongs to him. He is worthy. And because of that, we also have trust that he's not only worthy of those things, he's in control. That we can trust him and if we follow him, then that radiance and the glory of life that, that just emanates around him will fill this world too. It fills us. So, we need to receive this God, right? There's a difference. The creation didn't. Most in creation has rejected God as creator, done its own thing. But look at this promise that John also gives us about all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. There's something profoundly powerful about taking your crown off and laying it before the throne, declaring that you are worthy to receive praise and honor and glory because you made everything, because you're my creator. If you do that, if you come to him by faith and say, God, I'm going I'm to follow your path. I'm not going to be trying to earn my way back to you or do my own thing or be self-righteous or anything, but God, I'm going to receive this world and, and salvation as you designed it. There is... You believe in his name, the right to become not just his servant, to become his child, the family of God. How beautiful is that? So there's the difference. What we find at the throne room of heaven are two very different responses to God. The four beings who can see him as he is and have no excuse but to see it can't help themselves but to see God are the 24 who recognize and worship. Really, who are you? How do you respond to God? You know, as followers of Jesus, I always want to give you some next steps as we follow after Jesus. You can't stay still, so you should be moving. It's on your connection card. There's some ways I would say for us to lay down our crowns, to be able to follow God as our creator, our redeemer. And one is worthy. And the first one is this, is to memorize uh, Hebrews 4.16. Right? Why? Because we're recognized tomorrow that this creator, this king, is one that doesn't just call us up to, you know, to bring us to punishment. We don't just operate with him on terms of grace or in terms of law, but, but on terms of mercy. 
Like, he doesn't just not give us what we don't deserve. He gives us everything that, that we need. And that's exactly what it says, that we go to him to get what we need when we need it. That he has not abandoned us, and the king of glory invites us to approach him. So maybe what you begin with is understanding how great it is who we're approaching. It's not just, you know, an idea. It's not just a religion or a concept. You have access to the creator of all things, the ruler of all things, who invites you to receive mercy from his throne for your help. Take some time. Memorize that. Maybe you need uh, that this week. The next thing is maybe read some of God's word. I would suggest this week, why not Revelation 4? Because I preached on it, so be in your mind. You can read Revelation 1 through 3 if you'd like to as well, and you have a little context. You can read the rest of the book if you want, but start with 4, get there. um, Be in God's word. It's powerful. Spend some time seeing what God has as he revealed this to us for a reason. The next thing you might want to do as we do that is acknowledge the creator. Right? In your life, they recognize that this world may not be operating the way that you want it to. And maybe you've been trying to make this world operate a particular way. You've been trying to manipulate things and work so it just it does what you want it to do. Let me just help you in that and acknowledge in the Creator that this world's not going to operate according to your design. You didn't make it. It will operate according to God's design. So why don't you include Him? Put your life under His direction. Acknowledge that He is the Creator and the ruler of all things. If there are things in your life that, uh, you know, are, are in contradiction to the way that God has told us he made the world, maybe it's an opportunity to be like, hmm, maybe I'll get rid of that thing because that's what's causing problems. But acknowledge that God is creator, that Christ is the creator of all things and the ruler even now. Last thing you might want to do is practice that, is to give God glory, honor, and praise. And that's a, like a daily practice. That's a good thing. Give him glory. Recognize that he's the one who actually can save. He's the one who, who has a plan for all these, this, this crazy world. It may look chaotic, but he's still on the throne. And, and you know what? Honor that. Honor his plans and his rules. That the, the way that he's told us to live our lives, it's not about just being legalistic. It's about honoring the creator of all things as his creation, using this world the way that he, he made it to, fulfilling our portion of it. Honor him and how we live. Honor him how you, how you talk and how you believe it. Spend time each day thinking, how am I honoring God? And you know, bring him praise because God is good. This world tells us lies about God, but they're full of of darkness and and folly. God is good. And if you follow me, he's not going to destroy you. He'll give you the right to even come as a child. Praise him. Take time each day. Think about the ways that you, you may not understand your circumstances, but I'll tell you this. God loves you. You can understand that. And God is in control and he's on the throne and he will show you what must take place. Nothing is outside of his will. So give him praise because what he's bringing about is a good thing. Maybe that's what you spend some time doing this week. Start daily. Now, if you're here this morning and you haven't let Jesus become your king, right? You have not believed in his name, then, then this is going to be for you. Is You need to take a first step to follow Jesus. Let him be your king. Right? The, the king of creation, not just an idea or religion. This is not a joke. We're going to stand before that throne someday. You want to stand before the throne of mercy, not the throne of judgment. Let me tell you, you want to have God receive you as child. Today is a day of mercy and of grace. And if you want these promises, let me invite you, to, 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 just as God does, that you can receive him even now. So why wouldn't you do that? To be saved by God's grace through your faith. It says in Scripture that putting that in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you need to take that first step, then don't leave today. Come talk with me or one of anybody on the worship team or, or any of the other members here, but come talk with us. We'll help you take those first steps of faith. 
and bring you into a church family that you can grow up in and grow strong in faith with as you meet this amazing God. And then next week, why don't you all come back and receive, realize how it is that we can actually approach God on his throne of grace and what that looks like. It's an amazing thing. Hope you come back for that. But before you do, mark out your connection cards. We're going to take those uh, in just a moment. We're going to pass the offering baskets. Take those green connection cards. I'd sure love it if all of you would drop one in and uh, put your prayer requests in there. We pray for you every week. God does cool stuff when we pray. And uh, put your tithes and your offerings in there as well. All right? Let me pray for you as you uh, make your first commitments to the Lord this week. Father God, thank you for this church. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But Father, we, we first just uh, we acknowledge that you are the creator, that we're here because you designed us to be, that none of us are here by mistake. Lord, that even every breath, every day that has been part of creation, that you are uh, still on the throne, are ruling even uh, over, that you're working all things together for good, for those who love you, and of course, in your kingdom. Father, you, all that is, is miraculous and amazing and beyond our comprehension, but we do know this, is that you love us and we want to love you back. So Father, help us to honor you and to revere you and to give you glory as our creator this week, this church. Help us to put that into practice and to remember that you're the one who's in charge, not media, not politicians, uh, Father, not culture. You are always on the throne. And so Father, as we do that, we help us as we make these commitments uh, to, to come closer to you. May they be expressions of that honor that would result in us giving you praise. Lord, we ask that you would take these, receive them, and uh, that you would bless all of this as well as our tithes and offerings, that you would build your kingdom through them, for you truly deserve all glory. We pray this in the powerful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen. Before we sing this song together, let's uh, take just a moment to uh, fill out our connection cards and respond to the word of the Lord there. It's an ugly green card. You can't miss it in your bulletin. Take some time to commit to some next steps. There's something that we can pray for in your life. We want to do that. Ushers, you can come forward. As the ushers come around, would you stand with us as we sing the song of response together? Jesus. 
bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. You are dismissed.